A reading from the book of Genesis. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds of, over the earth, and, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember when the, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become, become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. From the Gospel according to John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. And a reading from the first letter of John. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from Jesus is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the word of the Lord. We are in the midst of a family conversation. And I want to be sure that if this is your first time with us and you know nothing about this conversation, that you feel comfortable. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about what we've already been talking about. I don't want you to feel like the person who walks into a room where people are chattering away and all of a sudden everybody gets quiet. Or where people are talking about things that they know about and you don't know about and you have no idea how to enter the conversation. We have been speaking in our family this entire fall about issues and problems and possibilities and options for having successful relationships. A successful relationship with God, a successful relationship with other people in the family of God and even successful relationships out in the world. We've been recognizing the fact that not everyone everywhere gets along with each other. We've been talking about unity. We've been talking about community. First of all, our relationship with God, living with God. 
We have a relationship with God through many of the things that we do in the life of this church. We've been talking about because of the fact that we have a relationship with God, we also have a relationship with other people who have that same relationship with God. We've been speaking for weeks now about living together with Christians, the whole human family of the Christian church, how we are a family, we're a, we're a village, we're a community, we're one people. Well, if you've been thinking carefully about it, it is important for us to get along with God, and it's important for people who get along with God to get along with each other, but that does not include everybody on the face of the planet. There are perhaps 1.3, maybe 1.4 billion Christians that live on the earth. But that still leaves about 6 billion people who are not Christian. And in a sense, we have not spoken of them yet. But we're going to do that today. It's time for us to talk about all of the people on the face of the planet. So let's think a little bit about the world, especially the world from the perspective of the story that we're told in Scripture. The story we're told is that God made the whole world, everything that exists, everyone that exists. But as it turns out, God gave those who live on the world, especially the human beings, the option to choose. And not long after he made us, we decided that we didn't need him, we didn't want him, that we knew better than him. And so as the story goes, God's world turned against him. That presented a problem for the Lord. He decided to start over again. He started over, but he decided to save a remnant. God saved the world. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about it, especially through a story that you all already know so well. The story of Noah and the ark. Now, you think you know what the story is all about, and of course you know what the story is all about. Noah's just a normal guy minding his own business when one day God shows up and says, Noah, there's gonna be a flood. I want you to be ready for the flood. I have a special job for you to do in the midst of the flood. And it's going to involve you building a really big boat. Has anybody here been, there's a replica of the Noah's Ark, where is it now, in Kentucky? Yeah, I just read a news article that the owners of that Noah's Ark replica in Kentucky have filed an insurance claim because of a flood. <laughs> true story, true story. You cannot make this stuff up, people. Apparently they've been having so much rain lately that part of the facility flooded. The boat was fine, but... God's got to be laughing, doesn't he? <laughs> All right, back to the story. Noah builds a big boat. Noah's job is to get two of every kind of animal, one male, one female, to get onto the boat 
so that they can survive this flood that's coming. Now we do have some questions, of course. Did the dinosaurs get on the boat with Noah? Some people think that's the way it happened. I'm not so sure about that. Some people say, well, what happened to the dinosaurs then? Or how about unicorns? You know, if you've read any children's stories, you know that the unicorns simply missed the boat because they were too busy frolicking around out in the meadow, right? Me, personally, I'm thankful that the flamingos made it on time. <laughs> Beautiful creatures, right? But one of my biggest issues with God is that the cockroaches also made it on time. <laughs> okay, so there's a big rainstorm, there's a big flood. Noah and his family and all the animals managed to survive the flood. We don't know how it worked out with the ant eaters and the ants on the same boat, but it worked out. And the flood receded, God made the wind blow, and the waters went away. And then God took a pretty little rainbow and stuck it up in the clouds. What a great story. What's it really about, though? Is it about God providing a story so that we'd have something for the kids to color in Sunday school? And something for all those toy makers to make so that you could collect Noah's Ark with the animals continuously throughout your life till you have dozens and dozens of them? I'm not thinking about anybody in particular that I know. <laughs> the story of Noah and the Ark is really not so much a story about a boat and a flood and animals and rainbows. It's a story about the very nature of creation itself and the problem that God's creation presented to him. God has made everything and he has made it beautiful. He even said, this is really good stuff that I've done here. But then it all goes wrong. What is God going to do? The story of the boat and the flood and the rainbow is a story about God's solution to the problem presented by God's creation. And we'd better listen to what God says in his story. God says, I have set my bow in the clouds. I must be in a cranky mood these days because I want to change your mind about everything that's in the story of Noah and the ark. Now, I love rainbows as much as the next guy, right? When you think of Noah and the ark, you have to think of the rainbow, all those beautiful colors. If your mind has a scientific bent, you think about the refraction of light through the water vapor and the water droplets in the sky and how it makes this ark-shaped prism sort of appear, right? If you think about rainbows, you think about all the ways you're going to decorate your kid's room right before they're born. You cannot have children in today's modern world without having dozens of rainbows everywhere. If you think about rainbows, you want to think also about puppy dogs and popsicles and butterflies and all that really cool stuff. But that's not what God's talking about. 
God does not say, I'm going to put my pretty little rainbow in the sky. God says, I'm going to put my bow in the sky. Think of God, the mighty, almighty, omniscient, omnipresent God of the whole universe, taking his bow without an arrow in it. And he sets it up in the clouds where he will never use it again. That's what the bow in the clouds is all about. God says it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Not a pretty little decoration to put in the nursery, but a sign of the covenant, a sign of the contract that God makes with us. Now, this is not a normal contract. A normal contract is an agreement between two parties. I will do this, you will do that. If I don't do this, you will not do that. That's what a contract is, but God is making a covenant. God says, I will make a covenant. He says nothing about the covenant that we must make in return because there is not one that we make in return. God simply says, I will promise, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you do, regardless of whether or not everything goes to you know where in a handbasket again, I will make a covenant. I will make a promise. The promise is this, never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. There it is. God's problem about what to do with the creation, God solves by saving a remnant And then God says to everything that's going to come from here on out, I will never destroy you again through a flood. Now, you and I have to ask a question. At least it's my question. I don't know if it's yours. Could could God not have decided to start over in some other way? God could have done it differently when you think about it. God could have said, you know... Human beings didn't work out so well. So I'm going to wipe them out from the face of the earth, and I'm going to create some other kind of creature. Why didn't God do it that way? God could have said all living flesh on the planet didn't work out so well. In fact, the planet didn't work out so well. I'm going to do it some other way. God could have done that, but that's not what God did. Because, as we're told in the beginning of the story, God loves his world. That's what the story of the boat and the flood and the rainbow is all about. That God loves his world. Now fast forward just a little bit. Because that story is one of the foundational stories of the people who would be called through Abraham and his progeny to become a great nation, the Jews. They knew the story about God's love. 
And that story plays very importantly in a conversation, a very important conversation that happened thousands of years after the flood. It's a conversation between a very, very serious student of the scriptures and of the faith, an upstanding religious leader in his community who still is trying to figure out how it is that he can have a relationship with God and how it is that it works that we can have relationships with others. Nicodemus comes to a brand new preacher on the scene. He's never heard preaching and teaching like this before. He's never seen the kind of person that he's seen before. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what's it all about? Jesus says, well, look at me. Listen to what I say. Listen to how I teach. Look at what I do. And through me, you finally can see completely and perfectly revealed how it is that God loves the world. In fact, God loves the world so much that he sent me, that he came here to be with us so that we could have life. You know that scripture so well. Thank God for all those people who've made those signs that are held up at every football game in America these days. John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world that I'm here now. Now, we might imagine that Nicodemus would go home and say, great, it's wonderful. I've got it figured out between God and me. But there's one more piece of the story. There was a guy named John who followed Jesus and who lived with Jesus and who learned from Jesus. And 30, maybe 40 years after Jesus is gone, John is reflecting on what that means and John is trying to teach a brand new group of people about the fact that God loves his world. And those folks must be asking a question. We have John's answer and from John's answer we can go back and surmise what the question is. The question must be from these folks, well, John, God loves us so much, and we love God, and isn't that great? That's all there is to it, right? John says, no. There's one more thing. God loves you, and you can love God. But unless you love everyone else, you don't really love God. Have you ever met someone who said, I have a great time with God. God and I get along just fine. It's the problem that I have in my life when I have to start getting along with other people. Isn't it? John says those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. One of the reasons John believed that, of course, is because he had learned from Jesus. One of the reasons that Jesus talked about that is because that's the way God set it up in the very beginning. Last week, I talked about the fact that when God made us, he gave us dominion over his creation to live out his image in us. You see, God rules over his whole creation with love. And if we're going to look like God and be like God and act like God in the same dominion that God has, then we also must. There is no exception. We must 
love the world as God loves the world. And that's when things get really exciting. How do you love the world? There are three things going on today that give us some indications of what that's about. Today we're celebrating stewardship, dedication, and generosity, and all that good stuff. Do you know what that's about? That's not just about raising money to support the church budget. That's about you and me deciding that we're going to love God's world in the way that God loves his world by taking the things over which God has placed us in dominion and using those things in order to love, using our money, using our time, using our resources, using our energy, using our whole lives to love God's world. That's what it's about. Yesterday we celebrated another wonderful example of what it means to love God's world. I have a little piece of concrete. It's got some paint on it that's been in my desk now for nearly 30 years. Here it is. You know what this little chunk of concrete is? It's a piece of the Berlin Wall. 30 years ago yesterday, the wall started coming down. If that's not an example of what it means to love God's world, to do all that you do militarily, politically, diplomatically, socially, think about all the things that happened in order to make that wall go up and all the things that happened in order to make that wall come down. That's doing God's work in the world. And tomorrow we're celebrating another example of our attempt to do God's work in the world. There are many who would argue, and there are many ways in which we fail, but this nation was founded on certain principles, certain ideas, certain convictions and beliefs that say that this world is supposed to work a certain way, where people have rights, where people have freedoms, where people are given the opportunity to work for not only their own good, but for the good of others. Those are things that are part of the Judeo-Christian tradition. And sometimes we have to defend those things for ourselves and for others. It can be tough. Sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we ask people to do things that we should never have to ask anybody to do. But we have to do that. In the spirit of one of my very favorite hymns, it's a song called The Impossible Dream. To fight for the right without question or pause, to be willing to go to hell for a heavenly cause. That's the highest ideal of military service that we have, and we celebrate that tomorrow. The wall's already down. For most of us, our options for military service are long past. We've already turned in our pledge cards. But what are you going to do today and tomorrow in order to love the whole world? 
because God so loved it. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for the faithfulness of Noah who built a boat. We thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus who took his place on a cross. We thank you for the faithfulness of all those who have some idea of the love that is in your heart and who are trying to love the world as a result. May we be part of that great number. May we be part of your plan to save and redeem and renew until that time comes when all the world loves you back. For Jesus we pray. Amen.